This week on Honey, You Should Watch This, we watched Kids in the Hall, Brain Candy, a movie about life, love, happiness, and your favorite memory. Greg? Greg, are you going to finish? Ah, shit. He's in a glee coma. Welcome to episode 10 of Honey, You Should Watch This, a podcast where a husband, that would be Greg, and a wife, that would be me, Susan, uh, have differing tastes in movies. And what we do is we force each other, I mean, encourage each other to watch a movie that the other wouldn't normally watch. And then we come on here and discuss it. So pitter patter, let's get at her. You know, they say when you hit double digits on your podcast episode, you should be a millionaire. No, that's not happening. I guess not. Mm-mm, no way. So this week we did something different. We watched a movie that neither one of us has seen, even though both of us have wanted to see it because we are Kids in the Hall fans. And if you're not a Kids in the Hall fan, what what are you even doing? I mean, come on now. <laughs> uh, kids in the Hall are inquired taste, so... They're an inquired taste? An acquired oh, taste. Acquired Sorry, taste. I was trying to get my coffee down without choking you on know, it. You know, um, to be honest with you, I don't even remember them being on regular broadcast TV. They, I, were, they were on HBO and Canadian Broadcasting System. And then they didn't really start getting popular in the United States until Comedy Central brought them into rerun. Okay, so that's what I was going to say. I don't yeah. remember them or seeing them until Comedy Central because they had them on for like... I want to say like three hours in the afternoons. They were on from like two oh, to yeah. five. And it was awesome because that means I would have gotten to stay home from work and I got to see kids in the hall. So <laughs> I always remembered like, what's wrong with these guys? Because <laughs> it was, I mean, because they were 88 to 94, I think they were on for five seasons. 89 to 94, 89 to 94. And the whole in drag thing wasn't, you know, like it is now. So you're like, are are they gay? Are they not gay? They seem to be, but they they're not. And See, Dave Foley's really attractive when he puts a dress on. <laughs> <laughs> they always said Dave was the prettiest one, but well, I thought duh. there was a I can't remember the name of the skit. I think it was Hotel Anui when they are in a, a hotel room and they're dressed up as women. there's I think it's Mark McKinney and Dave Foley and they're both dressed up as women and they're talking and they're all depressed and stuff like that but Mark McKinney just looked absolutely gorgeous in that in that skit I'll, I'll defer judgment but, um I've always liked them because they they're absurd they're goofy um but they're dark but they're also that very polite Canadian Way they're kind of a mix between American humor and British humor. And, their humor is very is dark. Yeah. A lot of their humor is dark. The, the 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 lot of the stuff that we watched this week, talking preparing for it, 
Kevin's mm-hmm. humor about his father, and it was always, you know, it was always seemed like they were all always breaking up. Like if there was a man and a woman, they were always breaking up, or they were fighting, or there was it was, but yeah. it, it was it was very very funny. Yeah. See, the way I looked at because I I was always like, okay, they're in drag, but I they're I think it's more it's it's not that they were trying to be as groundbreaking. I think that's just the nature of troop comedy. If you only have five people in your troop, then someone at some point is going to end up playing, you know, a member of the opposite sex. Well, they said that there was a point where they had eight and the uh, members came and went. They were together for I guess about 3 or 4 years they said before they became before they got their show with Lauren Michaels and I almost said Lauren Green <laughs> with Lauren Michaels. And they said that the reason that they ended up playing the women was because they didn't have any women. Right. And, and they, I guess they had a couple of actresses that would kind of like Coming sub in, in with yep. them every now and then, but they weren't actual members. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a necessity. It was a, more of a necessity than a air quote fetish. Well, the way, and we can kind of continue this before we get into talking about the movie, the way that I think it all happened is... Uh, Dave and Kevin, Dave Dave Foley and Kevin, I almost said Kevin McCullough, Kevin McDonald, yep. um, were, were best friends, mm-hmm. and they worked together, and Mark McKinney met Bruce McCullough at a theater that they were working at, and the four of them ended up working together, and Scott Thompson found out about them and heard about them and got it in his mind, they need me. Scott seems like the type of person that would do that. Yeah, they need me. They they need what I have to offer. So he went to this one show, and uh, Kevin McDonald was telling this story where they had, for some reason, taped chocolate donuts underneath the seats because they wanted the audience members to have them. And so Scott picked his up and threw it at them and started like all these donuts getting thrown at them. And he went up and he introduced himself later and just basically inserted himself into the group he started they they the guys went to see his act um they let him in a couple of times scott brought all his dresses and wigs and he just became indispensable to the group and he was probably one of the earliest openly gay men in television at the time um and he did bring i think they all had different sensibilities which is really really great yes um Kevin uh, had that neurotic kind of insecurity. Dave Foley had that kind of old time comedy TV guy. He was the boy next sens- door. Of the group. Sensibility. Um, you had Scott, who who brought in just a lot of levels of 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 camp, but also you know he he was more of an actor. He had kind of those leading man good looks, and then you had Mark McKinney, who's extremely versatile. Yeah. Um, and and definitely a lot more of an actor than he is, you know, a, a stand-up comedy guy. So yes, um, but the, I think they it was Lauren Michael was right to discover him and and put him on TV. I thought that they were absolutely fabulous. And Did he discover them before or after Bonanza? After Bonanza, but right before the Alpo dog commercial. Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Beats Bears Battlestar Galactica. All right. All right. So, so once the uh, this this movie happened after uh, after they decided that they were not no longer going to do the show, they wanted to go the Monty Python route, do the show for a few years. 
do a couple of movie, big hit movies, and then tour, you know, every three to five years. But this, uh, this movie was a difficult thing for them. Do you have a question for me before we get into Yeah, why did you make me watch this? I was going to ask you why you made me watch this. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, obviously, we, we like kids in the hall. Yes. Um, and I thought, I've never seen it, but I also kind of knew it was, you know, a little bit more of a social satire, which I think we've the last couple of movies we've gotten into don't really have that quality to it. So I thought, there's a lot of stuff we can, we can dig into here. So that's why I wanted you to watch it. You, I wasn't um, upset that you'd picked it. I like. I I did want to see this movie, but it's um, it's hard to it's hard to get a hold of. It's very hard to get a hold of. Yes. It's very hard to get a hold of a lot of kids in the hall right now. If and if you do, it's extremely expensive. Because I remember one year you had asked for Christmas if we could get a copy of Death Comes to Town, which was a hysterical, which was the limited uh, kind of mini series they did on Canadian TV, and it was shown here on the Independent Film Channel, and it's like eighty ninety dollars yeah. t- to get that. Yeah, that's so a shame. it's uh, unfortunately. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write Lauren. Gonna <laughs> be like, hey, if you want me to? If you want me to watch the little skits from Saturday Night Live on the internet. <laughs> for free for free you you better make <laughs> so what did you think of the film overall well you've had me watch five movies now and if i can pull them out of the air it's it's bachelor mother network rosemary's baby i can't remember the other two neither can i let me think rosemary's baby Oh, Saving Silverman. Yeah, and Saving Silverman. And they were all pretty good movies. Yeah. And then this movie came along. Dun, dun, dun. And I really liked it. <laughs> 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 this movie has significant problems. Oh, yeah. And when you watch the movie without knowing that, you're like, oh, man, this, you know, what is it? It's, it's, it's disjointed. It's, it's, a very, it's very disjointed. And, and there are reasons for that. And there are significant reasons for that. But I honestly feel like, you know, sometimes you watch a crappy movie and, and you're just like, there's supposed to be redeeming qualities about it. And you're just like, God damn, when is this thing going to be over? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, my God, it's 845. Can I go to bed now? You, just that. <laughs> This movie had evident problems as you're watching it that you could see, but there was enough of the old Kids in the Hall stuff in it, and, and we're going to call it fan service because it's not fan service, but it's them pulling characters from the show, like the bigoted cab driver mm-hmm. um, uh, and just the little the little bit characters. But there was also enough new stuff that we, we both openly laughed out loud at. Yeah. That it made it enjoyable. This is by no means um, a, a, an Oscar-winning comedy. I mean, this isn't big, uh, but this movie is—it's definitely worth watching if if you like Kids in the Hall. If you don't like Kids in the Hall, you are not going to like this movie. No, this and is not even a little bit. This is not entry-level Kids in the Hall. It, it's it, it definitely is not entry-level Kids in the Hall, and and. You know, we've both done the research and listened to the interviews. Uh, there was a lot going on in their personal lives when they were writing this movie. For all of them, not just like one guy having a rough go of it. Mm-hmm. All of them were in dark places. Yeah, and this was, um, and a, and a lot of them too were were working on other things. Dave Foley was on news radio. Mark McKinney was still on Saturday Night Live. 
uh, Scott Thompson was doing um, the Larry Sanders show. So they were all also trying to, to focus on doing the writing, but there was, there was some disputes with it as well because Dave wanted to take it in one direction and the rest of them all wanted to kind of make a more of a coherent story around it. So that's why it's somewhat disjointed and that's why Dave quit the group and, and walked away from the writing. So it, What I read was he just was not happy with the script. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't happy at all. And uh, the backstory on Kids in the Hall is, is that it was a group that was not like uh, it wasn't like a, a Saturday Night Live, from what I understand, where they put the scripts up and they vote, and the ones that get the most votes. This Kids in the Hall, they all had to agree or it didn't happen. And there was a lot of infighting. Uh, they were always yelling at each other and screaming at each other because they wanted a good product. And they said that that worked for what they did. But at this point, with all the darkness they had in their life, he said, literally, this just isn't what I want to do anymore. And he just walked away. Well, Kevin McDonald described it as they would go into this room to write and they all called it the boardroom of death nice because it was so excruciating for i don't them know about you but to, that's where i want to, to go write. to work every day <laughs> they uh it was so excruciating for them to to write this movie because they all they could not stop uh with one page until everybody had signed off on it and that was just not how they were used to writing and so it was it was definitely a, a difficult experience for them. Um, so do you want to before we we talk a little bit about more on this, let's let's try to just introduce um, what this movie is about. Do, you, do we have the trailer? Yes. All right, why don't we play that? How do you feel? Like a, uh, like a fresh towel. Roritor Pharmaceutical, makers of the world's leading tablet for gas. Fascinating. Was in trouble. My empire is crumbling. They needed a new product. We might be releasing the most effective antidepressant ever. Go on. They don't have my notes with me. <laughs> they needed it. Now. Is it ready for production? Yes, sir. It's ready to go. Have, have there been any side effects? Yes, sir. A few side effects. Woohoo! Is this the result we're looking for? Paramount Pictures and Lakeshore Entertainment present the first motion picture from the kids in the hall. We think that everyone should have access to it, like to ghetto children. Apparently their lives are horrible. If you know them, you know what to expect. Really kinky stuff, like two dogs making love with a cat. If you don't... Hey, you kids, get out from under that lady's dress. We apologize in advance. Oh, David Foley. So your dad's dead. Is that Bruce McCullough. Something wrong? No. Kevin McDonald. With the handcuffs, totally necessary, officer. That was your husband's idea. Mark McKinney. The baby kid. Did you feel that? Scott Thompson. I'll be good. I'll learn to like talking. Five guys. Mrs. Hurdicure. Get out of my head. Get out of my head. Multiple personalities. Do you think I look too feminine? One movie. The Kids in the Hall. Brain Candy. It's got your eyes. And it's got features that look like various friends of mine. Hey! So, the trailer 
has so many scenes in it that aren't in the movie. There are and so they, many scenes and that they're, got cut. They're hysterical. I'll learn um, to love hockey. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, well, that's the thing too, because I I like the 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 two characters that they they played in there, which were the the white trash couple. Yes, that they had, and I looked for the deleted scenes for the white trash couple and really could not find any. And I think they are so hysterical. And what I love about them in retrospect, is that couple that they played on Kids in the Hall. It was Bruce McCullough and Mark McKinney who played those two. He played the, the mm-hmm. male. She, Mark played the female. Um, I see a lot of those two characters in the updated, if you watch Portlandia at all, yes, with Fred Armiston and Carrie Browstein, they do Nina and Lance. And Carrie plays Lance and and Fred plays Nina, and it reminds me so much of of that. I really feel yes. that it's inspired by Kids Not, in the Hall. N- well, I mean, they're a little more uh, non-white trashy. <laughs> but, oh, they're still white trashy. <laughs> but this is this this is so good. But uh, as you can tell by the trailer, um, the the movie is about a uh, pharmaceutical company called Rotor pharmaceuticals um it is financially in trouble and a team of scientists have been working on a cure for depression led by dr chris cooper and his team his lab team uh chris is kind of forced into getting the product to market well before he's done all his testing um because he is pressured by don rorator who is played by mark mckinney uh to try to get something profitable to market uh Everything seems to go fine. Uh, the users of the drug start uh, users of the drug are having good results. Uh, the drug basically locks onto your happiest memory um, to keep you your happy happy. Um, but then things start to go wrong. Um, first of all, Rorator takes the drug and makes it an over counter drug so more people can have access to it, and people start slipping into comas. Happy comas, though. Happy comas. I mean. You're getting to remember that time you danced to Funky Town. <laughs> it's an interesting concept. It really is. Uh, so now Chris is trying to figure out how he can warn everybody to get the drug off the market. And then they decide that they don't want the drug on the market. So they try to make uh, Mark McKinney's character, whatever his name is, they try and get him Don? to stop. Yeah, Don. To get take to take it off the market, mm-hmm. and that's essentially the plot of the movie. This is not a <laughs> super deep plot. We make a drug, drugs good. We find out drugs bad. Try and get bad drug guy to stop selling good drug. The end. It's <laughs> really it's really pretty much where it and is. And there actually there's actually an because we were talking about the theatrical cut. There is actually a director's cut where. Um, it's got a much darker ending, um, although the ending to the theatrical cut is pretty dark as well. Really, you thought it was dark? Well, basically, they they were we're talking about only five percent of the people who take the drug go into the glecomas. The the drug is called Gleminex, by the way. Um, so these people fall into glecomas, um, and Don Rorter thinks that five percent is an acceptable loss rate, and he's happy with that. Uh, Kevin McDonald was trying to get the press riled up um, to try to 
cause a stir and try to get the drug pulled off the market. Um, and he basically gets uh, one-upped by Don Rorator and the head of marketing. Ladies and gentlemen, Cisco. 17 minutes and 24 seconds before the first cat makes its appearance today. Yeah, Congratulations, he's, Fatty. He's trying to walk across my, my computer and I'm fighting him back. Yeah. Pew, pew, pow, pow. Uh, they basically get one-upped, and the head of marketing spins it that the people in glecomas are going to go into these wonderful care facilities, and all the family members are getting a ten grand. So it spins in, into a proper way, but no one knows what happened to Dr. Cooper when after this all goes down, and uh, he's basically underground trying to find a cure for the cure to get everybody back into their depressive state. Which he does. Mm -hmm. He does find the cure at the end. Right. So this is basically... But it's it's a full circle that comes right back to the starting point. Right, exactly. They did a complete 360. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, see what I did there? I yeah. used numbers. I see what you did. I'm not, not too good with those numbers. So this... Uh, Basically, it came out in 1996. So if we think about the climate of the 90s, okay, we were coming at early 90s. We were in a little bit of a recession. We were starting to come out of that recession a little bit. Um, we had a bunch of Generation Xers entering the workplace mm -hmm. um, who were disillusioned and disheartened, not unlike our millennials these days. Who's the Gen Xers? That would be you and me, my dear. So that would be 67 to 85. 67 to 85? That's quite a window. 67 to 1985. That's not even like the same climate to grow up in. It should be like 67 to like 75 and then 76 to Did I say 67? Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> 76. All right, well. No, wait a minute. No, because 60, yeah, 67 80s? Oh, shit. Now I have to look it up. All Why right. Why do you get me questioning myself? I can't do this anymore. Well, you don't have to do it anymore if you don't want to. Let, here, take over, Brody. Yeah, get over here and punch numbers. You, you can be keyboard cat. Let me go. Let me go get some pistachios. Some pistachios. Pistachios. Did I say eighty-five? So let, let me see. All right, nineteen sixty-five to nineteen eighty. There we go. Really? Yes. Well, I guess that's fifteen years. It's some, like of, a, some people define it as, or, as 1960 to ending somewhere between 19, 1977 and 1984. That's huge cultural change just in mm -hmm. like the way kids, I mean, like in the 60s, you went outside and you, you were, you know, you were Roy Rogers or you played, you know, Cowboys and Indians. And then in the 80s, it was all about sitting inside playing your video game. <laughs> of course, I. I didn't. I guess that would have been 90s would have been the video games. 80s we still played outside. Well, they they right. they're well, here's the thing. Baby boomers, they is extremely wide. Baby boomers are 1946 to 1964. Generation wow. X 1965 to 1980. Millennials are 1981 to 1996. And post-millennials Post-millennials? No, post-millennials okay. are 1997 to present. So I don't know what if, if that really defines it as Generation Y, but anyway. Yeah. So okay, what largely defines Gen I'll allow it. Yeah, what largely defines Generation <laughs> X <laughs> is um, what you know we were considered to be largely latchkey kids, right? Because now we had we had to have dual income. Okay. Coming from the seventies, the 
the economic slump of the 70s into the 80s. So mom was working, dad was working, kids coming home from school, taking the key under the mat and going, getting, going, being home, right? And mm-hmm. so we're largely independent. We love our TV. We love, you know, all these things. And when we got into the workplace, I, the, they, I don't think they really understood how we thought versus the baby boomers. So they were, we were largely disillusioned. And like I was saying, not unlike the millennials today. Um, they are largely disillusioned and they have much, much higher rates of, of college debt and, and things like that. So well, when you go to college for nine and a half years, oh, that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair at all. <laughs> I didn't say that was just millennials. I'm just saying that when you go to college for nine and a half years and you get a degree in literature, I'm not sure what you expect. Well, not everybody's like that. I know. Anyway, so and I'm not also not saying that you know degrees in literature aren't important. Mm-hmm. And also in the in the early to mid '90s, we had um, you know a little drug called Prozac that was making headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, largely because of a book called Prozac Nation. Um, and then we had grunge. Isn't that kind of when the Ridland thing kicked in too? The what? Ridland. I, I think so. I, I really didn't really look into Ridland. I think Ridland was probably a little bit somewhere in the nineties. I do feel like I do feel like the nineties was when we as a country relaxed our stance on we prescription did. drugs. We started advertising drugs on TV. Uh-huh. Um, that's why you see, you know, don't take Chantex if you're allergic to Chantex. How the fuck am I going to know if I'm allergic to Chantex? If I you think, don't tell me what's in it. I think the big that yeah. that wave was a little bit later, like in the late 2000s. But I do I do know that it was. I mean, your drug culture had loosened as well. You know, it, mm-hmm. marijuana wasn't. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I was like, "Oh, you damn." You weed smoker, and now it was like, oh yeah, he smokes weed. Okay, you know, I mean, it was. Oh yeah, the, it was the, significantly more relaxed. The marijuana smoker is still in in the um, in the movies was, you know, still a cautionary tale, so to speak. Right. We were coming off of the eighties with you know, drugs are whack and don't do drugs and yeah, Nancy Reagan and all that stuff. Yeah. This is your brain. This is your brain with a side of bacon. Right. Um, mm. Bacon. <laughs> bacon. Um, so we also had grunge in the 90 that, that came out in 1994 we had the death of Kurt Cobain so we have, <laughs> you like you like Pearl Jam I like Pearl Jam's first album yeah okay yeah we we, we could literally do a, an entire episode on me crapping on 90s music <laughs> <laughs> but since this is a movie <laughs> podcast we probably won't do that so all that said a lot of a lot of that, zeitgeist is put into this movie because this movie is about corporate greed of pharmaceutical companies. It's about depression um, and the difference between trying to help people who are clinically depressed versus somebody that's just feeling low. We have a, our own grunge band in the form of, of Bruce McCullough's band in here and his lead, I, I lead like singer Grievo. Um, Bruce is very talented. He's musically, I think he's a very he's he did a lot of the music on on Kids in the Hall, including my favorite, The Daves I Know. Um, and <laughs> that was the one we saw when they were live, right? I no, think that they, was when I was six. Yeah, I got you. Never uh-huh. mind. When I was sorry. Yeah. Um, so it all runs together when you're a Gen Xer. 
<laughs> so we have we have all these all these elements in here. So there's a lot of good social satire to kind of to push into it. Um, you know, we have side care like the side character of Grivo, who is this overly depressed um, grunge singer who has this very large following and suddenly he goes on the pill and then he's written this song called happiness pie, which is upbeat and light. And, you know, suddenly he's winning awards and doing all these things. We have uh, Scott Thompson's character of Wally, who is a closeted gay, even though everybody around him knows that he's gay and is aware that he's gay. He's in such a state of denial about it for whatever reasons. And um, so he has, you know, he's, his psychiatrist puts him um, on the drug and suddenly he's uh, accepting of himself and, and his, his sexual proclivity. And, um, we, you know, we have uh, Mrs. Herticure, also played by Scott Thompson, who is this, um, <laughs> she's probably the saddest character in this oh. whole thing. So sweet. Um, that's what Scott Thompson does this so well. He plays these little old ladies that you just want to give a hug to, especially like, cause he's got that very strong Canadian accent. And you know, I had my, my parent, my family is from Canada. So my grandmother was from Canada. So Don't tell everybody why <laughs> ain't no shame. And For you. so, you know, he's just, he just want to hug him. And so he's this very depressed lady who hasn't had much joy in her life. And, and when she takes the drug, you know, you suddenly flash to her happiest memory, which isn't, as happy at all because it, it's, it's not no it's not even as happy it's, oh my god depressing it's depressing so as shit sad so she's got she's christmas her son comes to visit her with his wife and kids and they're there for about a minute and that's her happiest memory and the kids are yelling at her because she, they didn't get the right toys the son just wants to take a drink from the bar they don't even stay to have any food they just kind of they're in and out and that's it and that's her happiest memory and uh, she's you know she's she's taken this drug and she's one of the first ones they discover in this glaucoma living living out that memory again and again um so it she's a little dizzy <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah they have this uh, scene what he's referring to is they have this scene where um they're testing out whether or not there's side effects on the drugs and they have a placebo group and they have mrs hurtcure who took it and she's on it what do they call it like a gyro it's yeah. It's, it's like a, an anti gravity. It's, it's not an anti gravity. It's one of those. It's it's like it's a it's a gyroscope. It's one of the things that you go to the fair and you get in it and it spins all different directions and yeah. you spin around. So Let's she's she's talking about that scene. For yeah, just a she's second. there going woo woo woo. They 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 slow her down and they're like, "How you feeling, Mrs. Erdiko?" She's like, "Good." They're like, "How's your appetite?" Good. So they're trying to feel for side effects. And she keeps saying, "Well, I'm a little dizzy." <laughs> a little how, dizzy. How, how you feeling? I'm good. I'm a little dizzy. How's your appetite? Oh, it's good. I'm a little dizzy. I think they ask her four questions, and every one of them is, I'm good. I'm a little dizzy. Okay. And then when they leave, they crank it up even higher. The, okay. First of all, it's funny because she's like an 80-year-old woman <laughs> on a gyroscope, right? At like 75% speed. Secondly, it's hysterical because they're supposed to be testing for side effects, what side effect are they testing for right there? They're not monitoring blood sugar. They're no. not monitoring heart rate, no. blood pressure, nothing. It's like, eh, let's put her on a thing, spin her around. If she doesn't throw up, she must be good. But the, the funny thing to me was when she kept saying she was a little dizzy, a lot of drugs have a side have effect, side of, effect dizziness. of dizziness. Oh, you know what? I didn't even catch yeah. that. That's funny. <laughs> 
so it's because it's because when I see the eight and a half minute commercials on TV now when I'm watching a football game, <laughs> I just block those those drug commercials out. You're, that's ab- that's nice catch. Yeah, so well that's, done. That's that's what I found. That's funny, why. Funny about that's that. why I married oh, you. Oh, that that's it's it's really good. So you've got you've got all these other um, side storylines, which which are are pretty much like a, what you would expect from kids in the hall. Um, they did have a few other side storylines that fit in that they cut out. There was a Dave Foley character that they, they got rid of who was this kind of crazy ex-fast food worker who gained a cult following and they're trying to take the drug down um, and a few other things. We have uh, the cops uh, in there too, the, the kids in the hall, uh, cops played by Bruce and, and Mark. Mark plays like nine characters in this thing. I think he plays the most. I think it's eight. He, uh, I believe, yeah. I looked it up. I think it's, I think he's got eight. I think Scott has seven. Yeah, Scott has seven. Um, I think there was one they cut out because when I looked in the in the IMDb page, there was like a ninth character, but I could not place who that character was. But Mark, yeah, Mark plays nine. Uh, I, think, eight to I nine. think Bruce is next. Then Kevin is is is. Yeah. Fourth because of uh he took the lead role and then Dave is obviously last because yeah. he did the movie under duress. Yeah, he he walked away but he still had the contract to be in it so they they gave him very very few and very small roles. I would love to see the storyline that's in the trailer that's not in the movie about the white trash couple with the baby. Yeah. Because those definitely. two scenes where where she's like it kicked. Did you feel it? And Bruce puts his head down there, and it literally kicks him off the sidewalk. Yeah. And then the whole the line. He looks like he's got a lot of features on my friends. <laughs> hey. Yeah, they're they're funny. So those that's that's basically the the storyline. But our main storyline is about the Doctor Chris Cooper against Warators. I I thought it was very funny. There's, I mean, obviously you have the skits that the it's. We'll go this route. We talked about it when we watched it, and. It's hard to make a movie from a skit, mm-hmm. and and we referenced Night at the Roxbury, uh, you know, uh, Superstar, Pat. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of those movies that have come off of Saturday Night Live that are produced again by Lorne Michaels. That the movies are okay. Mm-hmm. They're you know, I mean, you enjoy them because you enjoyed the skit, but the story is very weak because I mean, you're talking a four minute skit on Saturday Night Live that you're going to make a ninety minute feature film out of. Now you can really, it's really hard to develop that. We talked, we talked about those. This story is very weak. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, it's not a, it's not going to get best, you know, best screenplay no. by any means, but. You enjoyed it because of all the little side characters are in there. When we when we look at some of the things that they did with the side characters and how they were able to integrate it, it was actually pretty smart how, how they put them together. Yeah, well, but what, one of the things is they they were uh, first they were under the gun to come up with the concept, and they were li- really late with that. And Kevin McDonald basically said. The first idea was they were a basketball team that kept losing to the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, my God. I would pay money to see that. The other one was called The Asshole. And it was basically about a serial killer that was going around killing people who were assholes. So Dexter. Yeah. A a 1996 version of Dexter. A comedic Dexter, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, okay, I enjoyed this movie, but both of those ideas are better than this. (laughs) I think 
and I and I I think it speaks to their the sensibilities of the kids in the hall because uh, Kevin we we know that Kevin and Bruce very much have these these dark backgrounds. Uh, Kevin openly talks about his dad being an alcoholic. Um, one of his most famous skits, and, and I, I highly recommend as an entry-level Kids in the Hall skit, is Daddy Drank, in which he tells a story about his dad drinking, and you've got it... So good. You've got it from the kid's perspective, and you have Dave Foley playing Kevin's dad, saying, you know I can kill you in your sleep. All it takes is the will to do it, and soft shoes. And son, I want to do it. And look at my shoes. <laughs> sleep tight. And Kevin, Kevin McDonald said that his father actually said that to him, not the part about the shoes, but you have to be willing to do it. And I'm willing to do it. Good night, son. And so that's, I mean, that's a dark place. So for, for them and, and a lot of like Bruce McCullough stuff, like one of his things was, uh, I don't remember the name of the skit. Um, it was more that one of those filmed skits. It wasn't like with the audience laughing, but when it's the German one where they're making sausages, oh, and it's 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 very art house. Yeah, they said that was the most expensive skit they ever made. Yeah, and um, so they have these very very dark sensibilities. Dave is dark, but he's dark in a. I I I want to try to figure out how we can kind of compare him to somebody else in TV, but he's very much. Uh, Hey, kind of guy, you know, he's, he's very glib and very more suitable for TV. Although he does go to dark places in like when he plays the, the the axe murderer on kids in the hall that his axe broke. So he has to go next door and try to borrow one from the neighbor. That's, that's Dave Foley. Yep. Right. Um, so they're all kind of moving into this dark direction. And I think they all really wanted to, to kind of hone in on the satire and Dave walked away he was doing news radio at the time he didn't want to didn't want to do it um when he did come back he had a lot of riders from his manager he couldn't be in a dress um the guys he didn't want to talk they weren't talking to each other at all dave was not talking to anybody um even kevin who was his best friend uh kevin even says he specifically said i don't want kevin to try to change my mind on anything i don't want kevin talking to me um, well, his marriage was falling apart. He was probably Kevin's pretty, marriage was falling apart at the same, same time too, place. and so they were unhappy. Scott Thompson's brother just had just committed suicide. Yep, a week before they started filming. Mm-hmm. And so he was. So I read a, a interview um, that was done with Scott Thompson, and he was basically saying he used that time to really just focus on doing what he needed to do for that movie to get through it. Um, so he really threw himself into it. So it was definitely not their, I'm, I'm not going to say it wasn't their best work because I think all of them at this stage of the game when they look back on it are very proud of the work that they did on this movie. Um, the studio did not like it at all. The studio um, wanted them to change several things. Lauren Michael wanted them to throw in more of their popular characters like the head crusher, the chicken lady, cabbage head man, um, a few of the other things, and they were like, there's no way to believably put these characters into this world, which you have to respect, right? Because they have created, and we've talked about this when we talked about the um, the Adventures of Ford Fairlane or some our Suicide Squad, where the tone just was not together. And they they managed to make this a world where 
all the crazy stuff that was happening was at least believable within the world they created. Right. Um, so I think that that's one thing that they do extremely well in this movie. So they're all proud of it. Um, and I, I thought it was funny because I keep referencing this Kevin McDonald interview, which I'll probably put in the show notes, um, the link if people want to watch it. Um, but one of the things that they were saying was, you know, they, they keep saying that they're groundbreaking, right, and relevant and important. Some of the stuff that they've done um, as far as comedy is concerned. Um, and back then they just thought they were being edgy. So maybe that's the test of time. Because like I think a lot of people now look at this movie and think it's a freaking amazing movie. Um, we've posted, when we pre-posted on a lot of our social media, a lot of people just absolutely said that they love this movie or, you know, like the hell out of it. So, well, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a good movie. It's not a great movie. It's, uh, let's be honest. We watched it twice. Yeah. The the first time was for the podcast. The second time was for us. We watched it. We watched it twice in three days. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember the last time that I did that. And it wasn't Christmas vacation to be completely honest with you. The it's, it's a, they they did blend their characters from the show into the movie very well, and you're right to throw a chicken lady in there. Or, I mean, you probably could have worked in, you know, Head Crusher because he could have just been some random guy sitting on the side. But mm-hmm. you can't. That's what makes it so hard to make a movie from a skit, right? Be- because you have so many things you have to fit that you have to fit the uh, the the timeline of the story. I think they captured. The, um- I'm sorry. I didn't oh, you're good. I think what they did, they managed to do was kind of capture the essence of some of those popular characters. Um, Cause Scott Thompson's Wally in this um, has shades of Danny Husk. Yes. And um, what was the name of the lab assistant that Bruce McCullough played? Alice. Alice. Um, he's played that character multiple times in different skits well, with different names. Yeah. He's it, it largely reminded me of the Cappies. Remember, you had Scott mm-hmm. Thompson and, and Bruce playing the secretaries at 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 Love and Company. So they were, it, it was, it had a lot of Kathy in in right. it. Um, they had the basically just so many things that you were like, okay, I could speak to that. Even Grievo, who's the the lead singer, Bruce McCullough's lead singer of that band, could be a grown up Bobby, you know, mm-hmm. in the Ham of Truth. Yep. You know, yeah, <laughs> and it's it's fucking good hot dogs. And no, that's Gavin. Bobby is like fucking good ham, mom. Oh, that's right. Right. Yeah. Fine gotcha. ham abounds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there, there, there are things that you could probably draw from, but they didn't. I think I, you've got to respect them for not going. Okay, we're going to throw in this and this and this to make that happy. Now, where they all agreed that they feel good that they didn't cut. Cancer Boy out because Cancer Boy has shades of Gavin in yep. it. You know, it has. Cancer Boy was the one that the, the the studio wanted gone. They wanted gone, and they pulled advertising because they didn't remove him. Um, yeah, Cancer Boy has a lot of Gavin in it. Hot dogs have uh, chicken eyes. Yeah, um, and cow lips. Well, I liked... and wiener flavor. Yeah, <laughs> wiener. I liked Bruce McAuliffe's answer for why they did not why they refused to get rid of Cancer Boy, mm-hmm. and the answer was. That whenever you see a kid with cancer that's sick, everybody's like, "Oh, hey, look! You know the football players or the the actors. We're gonna go see this kid, and look at what we're doing for him. He's in a wheelchair, and we're great people. And when he's not sick, he doesn't matter anymore. 
and that and they think that they felt that that was garbage that that person is more important when they're not sick just as important stop using the kid with cancer as a way to promote right. your movie or right. look I'm this wonderful athlete who went and saw this kid so well Scott Thompson who who later I think when they were writing Death Comes to Town he was battling non-Hodgkin's lymphoma um, he even actually tells the story of when they're in the writer's room, they had a bed for him and he'd get up and he'd write. And then after a while he'd get tired or he'd get sick. Right. And then, so he'd take a nap while the rest of them were writing. So he was like actually death in the room for death comes town. He was really fighting. That's how, how he put it in his article. And when they talked to him about cancer boy, he said, yeah, it's, there's a lot of attention that the media puts on cancer to raise funds for cancer and, and put these people out as spokespeople and half that money doesn't go to oh. where it needs to go. And it largely goes to more one type of cancer than any other. And there's a lot of charities that are that way. Yeah. Not, not to crap on anybody, but if you, if you do donate money to charities, pay attention to the, to the margin of profit, like the red cross, the money amount of money they get, mm -hmm that's actually not spent for stuff is it's it's ridiculous but you're absolutely right yeah so those were that's that's basically i don't i think they all agree that they were they were happy leaving cancer boy in but they all agree that that was the the nail in the coffin for this movie because the studio would not get behind it and then the other thing was the fact that on siskel and ebert roger ebert just hated this movie he hated it. Gene Siskel loved it. He thought he was all behind it. He loved it. They actually, you know, had this huge argument about it on, what was that, at the movies? Was there? Yes, it was. And, uh, yeah, at the movies. Um, so, and that Kevin McDonald even said the first weekend, they, they did a lot more than they thought it was going to be. So that was probably all the Kids in the Hall fans going to see this movie. That's exactly what it was. And he said, and after the Siskel and Ebert thing, it just fell right off. Well, you know, we have never really talked about critics on this show, and I, I acknowledge that critics have a tough job, um, and I acknowledge that critics go to a movie looking for certain things, but there are times when you watch a movie that you have to say, this is not Citizen Kane. This is just, it's just supposed to be, it's supposed to be goofy. I, I respect Ebert's opinion on a lot of films, mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. But he said he did not laugh once that this was he he absolutely torched this movie. And I don't get it. I don't get that because I don't care who you are, there's something in this movie that should have made you laugh. There, there's there's a lot of different jokes. Let's 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 be honest. You could have the white trash couple that could have made you laugh. You could have had any number of or the whole the whole scene with the police co the co cops in the car. That was all that stuff. The boardroom scenes were hysterical. Oh, I love the boardroom scenes. Just, the boardroom yeah. scenes. In fact, let's play a boardroom yeah, scene from you right now the one because that made me this laugh out this loud. scene is ab this is if you've ever had a job and had to work with someone who had no idea what the fuck was going on at that job. This is. This is going to make you cry. Well, they're insisting that we cut our research outlay by 60%. <laughs> of course I told them to fuck off. Good for you, Don. But then, out loud, I said I'd consider it. Of course, Don. Exactly the right thing to do. Play with them. So, where are we with that, Marv? With what, Don? 
our restructuring plan. You mean the thing that you just mentioned just now? Yeah. Oh, we're on top of that, Don. Good. Look, are we ever going to get the big table in here, or do I have to go out and cut down that fucking tree myself? I'll get right on that. Yeah, yeah. please. Okay, number one. Okay, anybody who's ever had to deal with someone who runs a, a, a job or a supervisor that doesn't know how to do the job, that's right there. That's a brilliant joke. And a lot of that joke is lost. And a brilliant response. Yes. A lot of that joke is lost if you're not watching it because the look on Dave Foley's face when he's like, he goes from, you mean that thing that you just said right now where he has this look of astonishment on his face? Yeah. And he goes, yes. And then he says, oh, we're on that with that look of just sheer ass-kissing just whatever, whatever you got to say to make the dummy that doesn't know what's going on think you've got it taken care of. Right. I, I see. And that's, that that to me, when, when Ebert went, real quick, when okay. Ebert went off on it, that to me was him just not not trying to enjoy the movie. It was it was almost like he sat down going, you know what, I never liked the kids in the hall on the show. I don't think he ever watched the kids in the hall. I think if you watched that. And that's probably a large part of why he didn't like it. But... Don't I mean? There's no reason to go, ah, but he probably did kill that movie. Well, there's yeah, there's there's two things because they they even said it right in the trailer. If you if you know if you know us or you, I'm, I'm paraphr- I'll paraphrase. They said it in the trailer. If you know us, you know what to expect. If you don't, we apologize in advance because it can be very unsettling to to watch something like that when you're not expecting. You don't know what to expect. And it's clear that when you see, and we'll put the link to this review, um, between Siskel and Ebert, that Siskel had some appreciation of who the kids in the hall were prior to. So it's just a difference. Not all movies are made for everyone. Agreed. Um, So, and Siskel really did stand up for it and implored Roger Ebert to give it a second chance. Yeah, he did. And that, that's what turns me off to a lot of critics, especially in today's climate. I'm totally okay with somebody not liking something that I like, which mm-hmm. is really kind of 95% of what this show is, because you hate what I like, and I love what you like. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's just stop right there, because no, please. No, I can't. I, have, I had a thought. You ruined my thought. I'm sorry. Did, no, really. Were you going to... I, had a th- I, I, was, I was in the middle of talking... <laughs> And I was saying stuff that's important and germane to the conversation. Oh, germane. Look at him. He throws out Germa- the word germane. Well, I've always he's always been my favorite Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> you can come back to it. It's okay for you to not for you to not like something that I don't like. I don't understand this mentality now where I like something and you don't like it and you're a giant piece of shit. It's okay that we disagree right. on things as human beings. That's part of what life and culture is. Mm-hmm. When you're given a review of a movie and you don't like it, what you uh, just say that. You know what? This movie wasn't for me. I had a problem with this. I had a problem with this. I had a problem with this. But I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that might like it. Right. Y- you know what I mean? I mean, right. there's a lot of people that don't like Metallica. Right. But yet they've sold billions of albums. Don't I I, I don't I don't understand that thought process in our culture. Now right. now go ahead okay. and, and make fun of me. I'm not going to make fun of you. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna say two things. The first thing I'm gonna say is there are people who are film critics who more than likely are either going to look at a film or specialize 
in criticizing film from one of the schools of film criticism, right? Or so you should know. Completely agree. Right. Because then you've got a lot of different lenses to look at a film through. Not to cut you off, but to back you up on that, Leonard Malton does not watch horror movies. Right. Right. So there's, and I listen to Evolution of Horror podcast and they have all the people who are like horror movie critics come on. Um, that doesn't mean they don't do other movies. This horror happens to be their specialty. So you're going to get a different type of criticism depending on how you're looking at the film, what you're looking for in the film. Um, so I, I have, I just had an interaction this week with, uh, with B Gardner, who is uh, on Twitter as the film B. And what she does is she does a lot of more feminist takes okay. on her personal stuff. Like she has a podcast and a a website called uh, Their Own League, right? So it does talk a lot about feminism stuff like that. But she got I had this conversation with you. I guess she got a, a somebody tweeting at her this week saying, you know, it it must really suck that you couldn't you know write or create films the way you wanted to. That you had to become a critic. That's not necessarily so. You, you really have to have a certain set of skills to be a critic. Not saying that there aren't bad critics out there who are going to look at things and kind of shun things without looking at it. But I think a critic's job really is to let you know, you know, what the film's about, what the l- kind of lens was in it, and and you make up your mind whether this film's good for you or not. Um, but they are also looking at things. It's stepping back and kind of taking a look at it from a, a point of view, too, of you know, the different ways that films are created, cinematography, dialogue, story structure, all that. So there's a lot to know when you're criticizing film. Now, when someone gives something a bad review, like I'm, I'm not going to hate Roger, rest of Roger Ebert's... Oh, no, I don't hate him at all. Right, because he gave this film a bad... But some people get so offended when somebody says something negative about a film that they really strongly feel personally about. And that's not what this is about. This is about stepping back and looking at the film through one of these lenses and giving it an objective look um, and learning about what makes good film good film. So it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. People, people don't like to be criticized. Yeah. They don't like. They don't they like don't to want, have something that they, they like, don't like to be criticized. Criticized, yeah. But but you know what? You can take any number of movies that are hugely popular. Uh, you know, on the other podcasts that I do, you know, we we talked about. We did a whole episode basically where we talked about Avengers Endgame, which is the the, the highest grossing movie ever made. Um, it's the it's the culmination of ten years of movies, and I loved it. But I had problems with it. But some of the people that I talk, oh, I can't believe that you didn't. I, I no, oh, oh, oh. not once did I say I didn't like it. I said I had a problem with this. That doesn't mean it's not a good movie. And and still take it personal that, oh, well, I can't believe you don't just look at it like I do. Well, I don't look at it like you do because I'm not you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Period. And and it's it's true. And Kids in the Hall can be polarizing. Now, what I was going to say about our podcast is... All right. So in this movie, what, what happens was... <laughs> Go ahead. You were going to say about our podcast. I was going to say about our podcast because I really enjoyed our last episode on major pain. And I mean, you, you had your little, little, like, can I call it a rant? I don't want to. I, I rant about all the, the time. About, you know, the fact that I don't seem to ever like the movies that you pick. Right. And it's not, I, to me, the goal is appreciation here. 
can I appreciate the film? Whether or not I didn't like it is irrelevant. Can I appreciate what you appreciate in that film? And, and the I, answer has been no. No, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, I came out of the major pain recordings like understanding and appreciating what you liked in it and what you found good in it. And I think it was a really good conversation. And so that's why I like doing this. So we've been together quite a while. Longer than you probably want to have been together, right? Agreed. Uh, I don't blame you. I wouldn't (laughs) want to be with me either. You, you still, still to this day, don't understand sometimes when I'm joking, right? Yeah, because my humor is so fucking intelligent that it just goes right over your head. It's not. (laughs) I need to break it to you, babe. (laughs) Your, your. All right. Well, you're gonna do this podcast by yourself. I have to go. Your humor is is extremely dry. Lowbrow? No, it's not lowbrow. Your your humor in and of itself, when you say something, you say it with a very straight face, and you're you're very very dry about it. So it, I I always tell people when they meet Greg, you got to give him five seconds after he says something that might take you off guard because he might be joking. I usually am. Yeah. I'm not serious very often. Mm, yeah, yeah, I know, but sometimes it still throws it throws me off. I still don't know, but okay. Anyway, um. Let's talk so about... what movie are we talking about? We're talking about Brain Candy. Oh, yeah. Um, let's talk about... There's a scene, and I'm just going to um, kind of uh, do a trigger warning up front because we're going to be talking about the scene. The reason that, that Dr. Chris Cooper uh, is working on the depression drug is because his dad committed suicide. So we are going to be talking about suicide a little bit here. So um, I can put it in the show notes if you want to skip over this part. Um what makes the kids in the hall brilliant and I think kind of encapsulates this is this scene where Chris is talking about the death of his father. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, do you want to play that? And we yeah. can talk about it. Let's play it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my father suffered from depression. Chris, Chris, I never knew that Chris. Yep. Hello, son. Did you clean the house while your old man was at work today? Yep. Oh, yeah, 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 good, yeah, yeah. Did you clean under the fridge? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about the gun? Did you give the gun a good cleaning? Yep. Good boy. Hours later, he hit a vital organ and died. <gasps> I never knew that. Let me just start off by saying, as someone who knows about guns and stuff like that, <laughs> it kills me that he thinks he was going to kill himself by shooting himself in the foot. I don't know. 
Well, you have no idea what's going on. You know, once he closes that door. I got a pretty door, good idea. You know, he could have just <laughs> slipped. Or I don't know what it's, but um, all right. He so slipped this, for two hours? <laughs> well, this is what this is what I find brilliant about the kids in the hall comedy when they're dealing with pain in that dark comedy, right? They take something dark and upsetting, right? This is a father committing suicide. You're watching the scene and everything about Kevin McDonald's physicality in this scene alerts you to something that is not wrong. He's walking slow. He's slumped over. His voice is very lackluster. He, you know, he goes to pat his kid on the head and he ends up stroking him on the nose. Um, you know, he, he, he goes up the stairs and his briefcase falls open. The papers come out and he doesn't even, re- it doesn't even register. You know what's coming. And you're bracing yourself for what's coming and you're thinking, this poor kid. And then they basically take that expectation and put it on its side because first he shoots himself in the foot and then the other foot. And, you know, it, it makes it funny because it's unexpected, but they never take the subject matter lightly. And... After that, when they when he says that, because they go back into the he, after the flashback, he says that when they come when they're back in the bar, saying you know two hours later, and then they move on, and so you're thinking about the scene, and you're like, okay, two hours. It took him two hours to do this to finally graze an organ and kill himself, and yeah, so you're like, he has to reload at some point. Right, it's like all these things that you're not you're not going to think about, and they're not going to put out explicitly. But afterwards, you're like, "How absurd is this?" Because he would have to reload. He's probably bleeding, bleeding out. He would have bled out. Um, I mean, it's the just- kid never calls the police or anything like that in the two hours. I mean, it's just it's so heightened absurdity. Uh, you're right, which but is, it's dark. It's, like it, you like know. we said last week about major pain, some of the things that they do is just over the top funny. They took a they took a very serious issue to show why he is so obsessed with curing getting, depression, cu- yeah. curing depression and they made it not <laughs> they didn't just go oh my foot and stop there he right. says <laughs> two hours later he acts you're like i mean wow it's just one more step <laughs> one step further that's like with the tap shoes and the daddy <laughs> daddy drinks it's it's it was it he was said, yeah. so all funny. it takes to kill you is the want to do it and soft shoes. So later in one of the flashes, he, he gets a Christmas present from the sun and it's tap shoes. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's you're right, and they did, and it was over the top, and it's it it is a very sad, very serious subject, but that is funny. That is so funny that you can take that and flip it over like you did like that and yeah it plays it, with it, your ex there's, abs- uh, it, it, there's such and there's dissonance right it's just you know it's not what you expect and then it's it's they're taking this and they're i, I they they treat it with the weight it deserves but at the same time it's just like it's not what you expected them to do and not even and close it, yeah. yeah not even close yeah um so i think it's interesting that the way they describe how this drug works right because and you know i guess i'm going to talk a little bit more about the realities of clinical depression here so you know when you're editing just add in the getting real music here right uh what is getting real music i I don't know any kind of piano music that you could pull from a hallmark 
Christmas movie. I can play some know. Rush. <laughs> <laughs> subdivisions. Play subdivisions. Um, that's uh, what it. That's almost borderline <laughs> what subdivisions <laughs> talks about. So. This, you know, the story, obviously, what they're making fun of is the fact that the, the pharmaceutical company is going to eke out everything they need to get the company back on top. Because there's a there's a scene where um, Don Reuters in his absurdly large boardroom and Dave Foley's character, which is his, you know, number two character that you hear talking in the last clip we, we played, comes in and is trying to set up for bad news and then pulls out drug variety, which I think is hysterical. Um, and it shows that Gleaminex has surpassed penicillin in sales. We beat penicillin! <laughs> we beat penicillin. So the next thing they want to do is take this over the counter so everyone will have access to it. Um, and I think that there was a lot of people, because you know, you talk about designer drugs and, and all that. So there was a lot of people who were going on Prozac in the 90s because they felt it would help them with certain things. I personally have gone through clinical depression and, and have it had it being treated by medic medication. So it's it's a lot, it's not just a matter of taking a pill, right? Your your brain. What happens in your brain, and this is why I think it's interesting that they choose the way that this Gleaminex drug works in the movie is so interesting. Um, when you are kind of set in a state, your body kind of remembers that state, right? So if you're down for a long period of time or you, you're prone to more negative thinking, um, when trauma hits the body, your your body is going to remember that. So, um, you know, it's kind of the... The thought of, of your neural pathways, you know, how you drive home sometimes and then it kind of dawns on you that you've kind of mentally checked out, but, you know, you're pulling into the, your, your road to come home. You're like, Man, how, it happens so often. It really, it's really hell? crazy how that works yeah. out. Yeah. So it's like neural pathways. You, you're, you're, your mind learns you how to do things. So when you're having more negative thoughts because serotonin levels are low, um, you know, you're, you've gone through a period of stress for a long period of time. You know, when we think of, of uh, Mrs. Herticure's life, you know, it, 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 will, it can kind of sneak up on you. And you, when you take a, a serotonin uh, uptake inhibitor or you take you know, any kind of antidepressant drugs, it's supposed to help stimulate the serotonin, right, to, to, to get you feeling a little bit more up. It's not a happy pill. It's just... And, you know, it's to, to kind of help you balance that. And then you have to learn new ways of behaving and thinking in therapy, right? They, they kind of go hand in hand. That, that was my experience. Yep. I, re I remember in the 90s when I was kind of going through this and trying to um, get myself back on, on track, um, a friend of mine started, and I think he was... I don't know if he was on Prozac or something like that, but he said to me, oh, I can't wait to start feeling better. And like he was saying it like it was a miracle club. Like that, that's all he had to do. And I remember looking at him and going, you know that you still need to do some work here, right? Think of the pill like you're out to sea. The pill is your raft, but you're still going to have to paddle to get to shore. You know, it's not, 
you start taking this, you're going to feel better and think better. You still have to train your brain. It's like anything. It's like you, you told me about the time that you quit smoking cigarettes, mm-hmm. right? You have to, it's a, it's a, it's a conscious choice. It was actually pretty easy for me. Yeah. I was lucky. Yeah, but I think with other habits, it's conscious choice, diet, conscious choice, and oh. stuff like that, because oh, you, yeah. you're used to going to your go-to, right? I have several things that have been significantly harder for me to stop than right. smoking cigarettes. Right. And I think this this film came out at a time where a lot of people were talking about depression, and they were still there was still a lot of stigma, stigma around it, right? People were putting down um, people who wanted to take this drug because they thought it was a shortcut and an easy way out, and... Um, so, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thinking, right? Well, but that, that is the mentality though, mm. that, that the pill fixes everything and it's not the pill, the pill doesn't fix it. The, the pill helps you fix it. Right. I mean, let's not even talk about depression. Let's just talk about cholesterol. Right. Yeah. There are drugs out there for cholesterol, but they still tell you, do you got to do what? Exercise. You need, you need to change, exercise. Yeah. You need to change your diet. Right. So it's not about just that's, that is a large part to me of what has happened that has made our health the way it is the last 20 years is because it's like, ah, doctor's got a pill for it. Yeah, and, and to be fair, um, with cholesterol, when you do get older, because right, both my parents uh, went through agreed. this with when you when you get older, my you know, both my parents lost a significant amount of weight. I think my mom lost 20 pounds um, and she still has to take the cholesterol medication. Because, no, I know, because it's yeah. years, it's years and years, and, and it yeah. helps. But just because you're taking a pill for cholesterol mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can eat, you know what, right. I, don't, I don't even know what cholesterol-filled uh, foods are, so let's just go, just because you're taking the pill doesn't mean you can have eight pounds of bacon a day. No, it just, it, no, you, no, exactly, right. exactly. So, yeah, there's, there's, still, there's still change you have to do, and there's still work you have to do. It's just that. So um, the whole thing between you know, feeling low versus clinical depression. And they have this conversation because there's a scene where the whole lab team goes to a party at Don Reuter's house and um, Chris is taken to Don and he's walking him through his little grotto to the quote unquote real party, you know, with the people that he actually wants to hang out with, where the people upstairs were the ones that were just kind of there. Right. Um, And he started talking about the fact that they are applying... Uh, for Gleaminex to become an over-the-counter drug. And Chris goes, I made this drug, designed this drug for people who are going through clinical depression. And I think there was a line, too, that was like, these are people who can't get up off the floor. And I think that that was kind of cut up, cut out. And, of course, you hear it in the um, the trailer where Don's going, well, you know, think about all those underprivileged kids in the ghetto. I mean, they have pretty bleak lives. Don't you want them to be happy? You know, so it's it's this... Well, they, it's a it's a it's an interesting look into how people look at through you know, and you've got the lens of of this corporate greed. It's kind of an yeah. indictment on the corporate greed. Oh yeah, he's he runs the company because he invented stummies, mm-hmm. which is a, a indigestion pill, right? Right. But they're eating them like they're M and M's. So yeah. so you know what so you know what happens if you and continu- they're all over the boardroom. If yeah. you continually eat something that prevents indigestion you're not it's not going to work right so that's exactly it's it's not about it's not about them making something that can help certain people it's about them monetizing it and that's yeah that's a large part of what this is about too he, i mean s- literally can you imagine what this country would be like if prozac was available over the counter yeah think about it uh, you know what i mean so right. that's him saying 
And there's a, and the other thing too is, I mean, there is no this. This was made out to be a wonder drug, and even though Prozac was very, you know, they had a lot of advertising behind it and a lot of, um, you know, push obviously by the pharmaceutical companies, um, Prozac doesn't work for everyone. Like it took me two years when I was going through clinical depression to get on the right quote unquote cocktail. Yeah. So they had me on Prozac. They had me on Wilbutrin. They had me. They had me on Ritalin at one point. And, you know, it, you're, you, people respond differently to different things. So, but this, let's talk about the concept here. So the concept of this pill is you take the pill and chemically it finds your happiest memory and freezes it. So you're feeling the feeling that you feel with the happiest memory all the time. Interesting concept. Don't know what mine would be. You can't have a happy, happiest memory. You can't. Because uh, different, different memories didn't mean different things. Yeah. You know, I, I, I lovingly look back on the day that we got married. Yeah. But is that is that better than when Jacob was born? Right. Or is that better than uh, a family vacation? You know, or, that time yeah. that you got that job you really, really wanted, yeah. or you the first time you went to Disney World, you can't. Right. But but that said, I mean the feeling. It's definitely not yeah. me dancing to Funky Town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so but it it's an interesting concept because when you think about you know building new neural pathways, it does you know if you've got that feeling in your brain every day, of you know of course it's going to help you have a more positive outlook. However, you know the 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 way that they put the side effects was is you get in a coma and you're just reliving that over and over again and not doing anything else. And right. So, but I just thought it was an interesting way to look at it and it was very smart um, and not, not so completely off. So that's what I like about these guys. They're, they're smart about how they approach their subject matter. They can be goofy and off, off the charts weird because how the hell do you come up with something like chicken lady? But these guys are, well, isn't isn't a lot of great comedy rooted in actual? Uh, it manifests itself in problems with society or mm-hmm. issues in life. I mean, hell, look at Richard Pryor. Right. I, you know what I mean? Pain. It, yeah. It, 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 pain. Yeah. Richard Pryor racism had a really, yeah. and racism and real things that aren't funny, and then you make them funny. Right. So. Right. Yeah. The and and you know what they didn't do. They did some. They did a little bit of this on their show. They didn't root themselves in taking a social problem, but I mean, Daddy drank. We keep referring to it. It's a. It, it's it's an issue when you're a child with an alcoholic parent, right. an abusive alcoholic parent, mm-hmm. and that is not a funny situation at all. No. It's but not. Dave Foley, as an abusive alcoholic murdering father, oh, yeah. is pretty damn funny. <laughs> Right. And so I think that's a lot of things too. And, you know, you look at, you look at some of the stuff that Scott Thompson did, um, you know, he's more, and, and sometimes it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse for him that he's known the most for being Buddy Cole yeah, on Kids in the Hall. And he does travel and does the Buddy Cole monologues, um, you know, but he's, he did, he's done a lot more work on that, but he said like the Buddy Cole character was really about, him not really seeing anybody like him in entertainment and to be unabashedly in embracing the 
you know, his his sexual preferences and and the underground gay community that he was involved in. In fact, he tells a joke in the in the interview that I read where you know, now it's so boring and mainstream because now, you know, you can get married and all that stuff and he blames the lesbians for it. So, <laughs> I mean, I think he's right on point. But, um, you know, he's, back then it was, you know, edgy and fun and, and creative and, and crazy and all that. So it's that was his point of view on this. But even that was bringing some of that I don't feel included to, to come in and, and make this a celebration of who he was and feeling included. And, you know, that's just how he was. He blazed that trail. He, he, he basically wore the guys down to become part of this troop. So, yeah. And he's got, you know, his sense, he brings this sensibility to, to this as well, this movie with the whole, the whole Wally thing, which you see way more of Scott Thompson's ass than you ever want to see. Um, but, <laughs> um, and uh, Kevin McDonald actually told the story about that when they were doing the, the scene where he takes the Gleeman X. He has his happiest memory, which relates to him kind of discovering that he is attracted to men while he's in boot camp. And does this little song and dance down the street where he's pro- proclaiming he's gay, right? This, that, that whole song. And, and so it was originally supposed to be um, him going door to door to each of his neighbors, asking if he can borrow the, their closet, getting in, jumping out, saying, I'm out of the closet, I'm gay. And Kevin and Norm, I think, that the other writer actually wrote that bit. And basically Scott turned it into the whole parading down the street and singing and, and all that. So, Which is appropriate. Yeah. It, it was it probably, it, I mean, the other idea is funny. It's yeah. ex- but but it, after the second one, you'd have been like, okay, when is this going to be over? <laughs> right. you, you know what I mean? I, yeah, totally agree. But so they they do they do a good I think a good job with with taking those things that are hard to deal with and hard to talk about and and putting them out there. Yeah. So uh, there's there's some trivia that goes along with this movie. Oh, there's lots. there's a handful of things that happen. Um, and you know, uh, I'll start off with with uh one that surprised me. Uh. I noticed that as the movie went on, the Mark McKinney character uh, Don, mm-hmm. the the lead the lead man, the admitter the admitter his stomach stummies, talked a lot like Doctor Evil. Yes, he has a the 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 and and I'm like, man, that's I wonder I wonder if that was like Mike Myers. Well, apparently that's not Mike Myers paying an homage to Kids in the Hall. That's Kids in the Hall and Mike Myers paying an homage to Lorne Michaels. Right. Both the characters were modeled after Lorne Michaels. Which I think is very funny because we watched Norm Macdonald has a show, and one of the one of the episodes has on Netflix. If you haven't watched, it, you like Norm Macdonald; it's very funny. Uh, was Lauren Michaels, and I did not catch him talking like that on that episode. And yet, when I found out that they both modeled it after him, I'm like, "That's yeah, it's a, that's it's, hysterical. It's a bit of exaggeration." And and what brings that to the head at the end of this movie when there's a scene that final confrontation scene between um Rort or um Cisco, which is Bruce McCulloch's um head of marketing character, right, who's also delightfully smarmy in this thing. Um and earlier in the movie, uh, a bird flies into his eye, so now he's got an eye patch on. So you've got Cisco with the eye patch on 
and you've got Rorator in one of those Dr. No kind of Nehru collar gray jackets. So you're like, there it is again. Um, you're thinking it's it's Dr. Evil. When did Austin, pa- did Austin Powers come out? Around this time, or was it a few years out for Austin oh, Powers? Oh, no, Austin Powers was like 98. 98, okay. 97, so, 98. But they bo- they're both looking like Bond villains at the end of this thing. Yes. So Goldmember, or uh, uh, Man of Mystery, was 1997. Uh, Spy Who Shagged Me was 99, and Goldmember was 2002. So... Very close to these. In fact, probably in production at the same time, I would guess. Yeah, I would think so. It was, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think if, if uh, I know that, that uh, McCullough was on SNL at the same time, so I think that, I don't think that Mike Myers was still on um, as well, so he might be might have been working on other things, but... I I know I think I think Mike Myers was early nineties, was wasn't he? Because he? he was on there when Sandler yeah. and um, yeah, and they they and, and they were all on there for the late eighties. Uh, they all left about the same time, and that's when the Will Ferrell and uh, all those guys rolled in. I think. Yeah, but so. you know we digress. We do. We do. Uh, D- Dave Foley, uh, like we said, not. He was a part of this. If you watch the movie, he's the only one of them that does not have a writing credit because of him walking out. Essentially, what happened was is they had the deal for the movie before the movie was even written, and that's where a large part of the mm-hmm. the stress came from the movie. They were trying to write a product to meet a deadline instead of having a product and saying, let's, let's produce this, and they said that was probably the biggest mistake that they made Mm-hmm. And I can I can get that. I mean, that's it's hard to probably hard to be creative. He came back only because he was part of the original deal, and if he did not come back, the movie died. So he basically did it so that they could all get the payday. Not because he, he he didn't need it. He was on news radio at the, he he had been right. cast in news radio. So he well, he basically did it to make sure the other guys were taken care of. Well, this divorce too. I mean, and what he was going through. Um, was I believe it was his first marriage, which he was ordered to pay, I think it was like 17 grand a month to his wife, which was more than he was making. And so he never went back to Canada after that until they could figure it all out because he said, if I go back to Canada, they're going to arrest me. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Hey, we need you to pay more than you actually make. It happens. You read some of these stories about these high... high um, profile marriages and what they what they are demanding per month for for child support and and it's it's nuts it's absolutely nuts i think there was two or three kids out of that marriage i can't remember um yeah dave foley said the same thing um i mentioned pop matters um as a blog before on on the show and i found another one uh where they're talking about brain candy and dave foley is quoted as saying um the writing process was a disaster um, they wound up in a situation where they had a production date to start and they didn't have a script and yeah. they had been trying to write it for months and months. Um, so, and, and McKinney was pretty much saying, you know, it was, it was such a complicated plot that it was very, very hard. And there was, you know, there's another version of this, which is the director's cut, which has the alternate ending. I would love to see that. Oh, it's on, it's on YouTube. You can find it. Oh, okay. The, so the alternate ending basically, 
Um, and, and it includes this uh, Dave Foley character that was never included in, in the theatrical version um, where he's this um, kind of a cult leader against the drug. Um, he's like a former fry cook at a fast food restaurant. And, Is that um, like his character? Yeah, we fucking did it. Yeah. <laughs> no, Who are you? <laughs> no, that was just a random freaking character. It was so funny. Um, so he he gets he kidnaps um, Doctor Cooper and tries to get him to admit that his drug was bad and. At this point, he's like, yeah, I know, it's bad. I take responsibility for it. It's bad. It's bad. It shouldn't be on the market. It's bad. So they try to take over the the Nina show um, to get on there. Do you like my new dress? Do you like my new outfit? Boo! Boo! That, that's pretty funny, too. Um, so they, they get on the Nina show, and they try, to, they try to, to get people to throw their pills away. And... It just doesn't happen. So he's completely dejected. And it shows that scene where he's walking along and he sees somebody else that's in the glee coma. It's actually Wally, Scott Thompson's character, um, going into that coma. And the pills, he has a bottle of pills in his hand while he falls. And the pill, you know, one of the pills lands at Kevin McDonald's feet. And in the alternate cut, you see him going back to Alice because Alice is his lab assistant, played by Bruce McCullough that's in love with him and as this drug in the movie as this drug gets more and more popular and brings in more and more money um dr cooper's benefiting from it and he's getting some celebrity uh, from it and he's turning into a bit of an asshole himself and alice shows up at his door after a night he's had a night of partying and tries to get him to realize that there's there are very dire consequences to the drug and you know it causes these comas and he doesn't listen to her so after everything's kind of gone wrong for him he goes to alice's apartment and this is where you get the payback from some of the um, intro vignettes that you see they're setting up this town as a place where people are unhappy and, and depressed um, she's with the german guy played by mark mckinney that you see in the beginning of the credits that's sitting there speaking in German to the therapist who's Dave Foley and Dave Foley says, I'm sorry, I don't understand German. So he's now with Alice and they're both very happy. So now he's got no one to turn to. He's feeling depressed. So he takes the medication and he goes back to his happiest memory, which is realizing he's created something that can cure depression. And he goes into the coma. And so at the end of the movie, um, you're, the movie is introduced and narrated and ended out with the cab driver character played by um, Mark McKinney. Like two dogs having sex with a cat. Yes. These people are idiots. Yeah. Um, and he, you see this the, in the, at the end of the, the movie, he talks about how it's ridiculous that, you know, all these people are going into the comas, but the drug is still really popular and people are still taking it. And almost everyone is taking it, uh, taking it except for him because um, he's a grumpy old cab driver. And he's driving past this parade that they have yearly to celebrate Gleeminex. And so in the alternate cut, you see a float that has Dr. Cooper on it, reliving the moment that he found it. And the rest of his lab team are on the, the float and pretending that it's everything's all well. Versus the what we see in the theatrical version, which is him working underground with his lab team 
to try to to find a cure for the cure. So, like the music group. Some days you need that. <laughs> cure for the cure. <laughs> it's a good band name. Write it down. Right. Right. Fleetwood Fleet Mac Sex Pants. It's a great band <laughs> name. Taken. Uh, so, um, I think we kind of covered do, all the stuff we wanted to cover, right? Do you want to talk about box office? And do going, you have I'm, any questions? I'm, I'm going to once okay. we agree. We've talked about that stuff. The box office was very, very poor for this movie. Budget was about $8 million. It made worldwide... It made two point six five four million. It was two point three eight nine million domestically, and probably ninety percent of that was opening weekend. Now, it was only released on four hundred and thirteen theaters. It was only it was it was a it was not a, a widespread release. To put it in perspective, Lawnmower Man Two, Beyond Cyberspace, which is one step above it in money that year, was released on fifteen hundred and eighty nine theaters. And it made um, it made about twenty thousand dollars more. So I I wonder I wonder if it would have been more popular if it would have been a widespread release. I wonder if it would have been more popular if it had not been absolutely brutalized by Ebert. I think back then we still pretty much relied on television and newspapers for our reviews. We still were not, there was still not a huge online presence in 1996. It was really, it was coming, it was coming. It, it might have been here, but not like, obviously not like it is now. Uh, it was number 188 for the year out of like 309 or something like that, which is really, really bad. It lost money. I am sure that it's made that money back mm-hmm. by DVD sales and marketing, but it was not commercially a very popular movie at all yeah well i don't know because in dvd sales it's again this was very hard to find um and when you do find it it is not a cheap dvd to to purchase uh so it's it's hard it's hard you know you're not you're not finding people putting this on blu-ray or remastering it or or anything like that or releasing the director's cut none of that has happened um with like shore entertainment so i think I think you have the nostalgia of our generation that would probably buy it if it did. And it's certainly turned into well, Where did a you cult. find it? I found it on walmart.com, believe it or not. And it's not on Amazon? Uh, I could not I couldn't I think if I found it on Amazon it was way too expensive for me to get it. I, gotcha. I think the Walmart I think I got ended up getting it for like 20 $20. Eh, that's kind of expensive for a DVD, but it is also a that's rare. That's not a Blu-ray, yeah. Yeah, it's also a rare. You know, the top five movies that year were Independence Day, Twister, Mission Impossible, The Rock, and The Nutty Professor. So, I mean, there were some monster blockbusters Hercules, that year. Hercules. But uh, um, they're not hurting. They're doing all right. The kids are all right. Oh. So, because this is such an absurd thing and the kids in the hall deal with absurdities very well i don't know if we have questions but we might have things that we wonder about um first of all being that it was foley who was supposed to play the lead character of dr cooper that's right i wanted to say that um i i honestly think that kevin no i wanted to say that (laughs) go ahead too late go ahead pitter patter let's get at her 
Um, I think that McDonald did a good job of being that nerdy. He does that good job of being nerdy, whatever. I mean, anything you've seen him in, whether it's that 70s show, um, any Lilo and Stitch voices and things like that, you've got that kind of frenetic crazy well he says you know. that that's what he's good at he's not good at the lead at being the lead role he's good at being the goofy nutty guy to this in support and he was not happy about taking the lead role but he fit that role better than dave foley would have i think yeah because this is a very stereotypical thing to say but it's not often that you have a guy that's deep in science that works on something like that that looks like Cary Grant. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's he had that the glasses and that frenetic type, just his mannerisms. I think fit very well. He was much better as Marv, the 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 uptight corporate guy. I think. It's, oh, absolutely. Foley was that's Foley to a T, especially on news radio. It kind of picks up, and a lot of news radio. The the person who wrote news radio wrote that role for Dave. And they incorporated a lot of Dave into agreed the news radio character. Yeah, it was. It, I I was uh, I was totally fine with his portrayal uh, there. I thought that uh, I thought that all of the the acting was. I mean, it's what it should have been. It's kids in the hall. This right. is this is not again. This is not Citizen Kane. So mm-hmm. yeah. So and the other thing you would have to wonder is if they did comply with what the studio wanted. How how much of a difference would that have made in studio support? I think it would have been a bigger bomb. You think so? Yeah, because when you okay, it obviously didn't get a widescreen release, right? Okay, and and I don't know what the what the metric is. I'm gonna I maybe have to do some research. When they talk about budget, apparently that doesn't count advertising because they talk about movies that come out that are these big big production movies that take eighty million dollars to make and they make one hundred twenty five million dollars. You're like, oh wow. If I had $80 million and I invested in something and I made $45 million, I'd be happy. And they're like, oh, no, we lost money because advertising was so was so high. If you've got the people that are sponsoring it and the advertisers and the marketers, that means that you're going to push it harder. You're going to be advertising during more shows. You're going to put it in more theaters, all, all of that stuff. It probably would have been a bigger box office flop because I think that that number, mm-hmm. legitimately for the product that you have right there, that's about right. Yeah. Especially for 1996. You know, I mean, uh, 1996, uh, Independence Day made $300,000, okay? Right. That was its run. Uh, Rise of Skywalker made uh, $300,000 so far this year. Right. Now, granted, that's a Star Wars movie, but the, the numbers are, I mean, it's it's 15 years? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a big deal. That, that's, a, that's a long, is it 15? No. 1996. It'd be 25 years. Yeah. So it's been 20... Wow, math. So you have two thousand five, <laughs> two thousand. So you have two thousand fifteen. You do have twenty. You have twenty five years. Yeah. So four million dollars then was significantly different, or two million dollars, two and a half million dollars was significantly different than two and a half million dollars now. Right. Um. And it would have been. It would. Have been, I think it would have been a bigger, a bigger flop, studio wise. I think the people that wanted to see Kids in the Hall, Brain Candy, saw Kids in the Hall, Brain Candy. Right. The other thing is. Even though it was on home box office and it was produced by Lorne Michaels, it really didn't get the popularity that it had until 
95 or 96 or mm-hmm. 97, like we said from the reruns from Comedy Central. So this was still kind of catch a... catch up to itself. Yeah, I- exactly. Maybe if it would have come out in 2000, mm-hmm. you know, when it when it had uh, uh, much along the lines of Family Guy. Family Guy comes on Fox, it's on for two seasons, it gets canceled, nobody cares, nobody gives a shit. They start playing the hell out of it on Adult Swim. Next thing you know, it's the biggest thing ever on TV. Right. Uh, because it had time to catch up to itself. I think they came right out of doing the skit right. to going right into the movie. I, I, I think that that's probably where it would have fell, no matter what the sponsorships would have been. Because let's let's be honest, it's good humor, but it's it's a weird humor. You it know, is. Monty Python is good humor, but if you don't like Monty Python humor, you I don't. You, it doesn't matter which skit you watch, you're not going to like it. Right, right. And I think a lot of a lot of us who watched Monty Python growing up because we had access to it, you know, on PBS mm-hmm. of all things, and it was you know it was something that you kind of grew up with, even though you didn't quite sometimes understand the humor because it was more British-based humor, so there were some things that would have gone over American audiences' heads. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Kids in the Hall are probably the closest you're going to get to North American Monty Python, right? A huge, huge influence on all of them. Yes. And you can see it. Um, Canada, you know, tends to have, you know, the more British sensibilities. I know back in the, the 80s and probably the 90s too, um, catching up on, you know, United States culture was was kind of a few years behind, um, believe it or not. I remember I remember going up, I have a friend up in Canada that I used to hang out with when I go visit my grandparents. And so some of the songs that had been out for maybe a year or so in the United States were just getting radio play in Canada. So it was Well, there's different rules for the broadcast stuff. They're they're yeah. you know, I think to for a song to play on the radio up there it's got to be two thirds Canadian, which means written, performed or or produced. Mm-hmm. That was what it used to be. It might not be that way anymore, but it was a lot different. I mean, it was it was as we have figured out, it was 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So um so that's that's something too and I think that like I like I'd mentioned before, you know, Kevin was saying that they wanted to kind of model themselves after Monty Python, right? Do the show. Do you do a show for a few years, do a couple of movies, do some tours. You know, we've seen them a couple of times live. Twice. Yeah. Um, I think they are toying around with the idea of doing another show because Kevin was in his, his interview was in front of a live audience, small live audience of, of this web show. And, he was asking, would you guys be upset if we didn't have the same theme song? Um, and wow. Yeah. So he's, I, I think they're, they're trying to work on something. I haven't, I've tried to, to vet that out a little bit more, but I haven't really come across anything. I've heard Scott Thompson on Douglas movies four or five times in the past year. He's never really brought it up. Right. He's just always kind of there as a guest. He's, he's funny on the show because he doesn't really... Um, you know, Douglas Movies is mm-hmm. another podcast for the, anybody out there that doesn't listen to it. They do about 25 minutes where he talks with a guest and they do about 25 minutes of games, depending on, you know, what venue that or how long is his his time slot is. But Scott Thompson is always so much fun in the let's talk about this. And, you know, and then and then it comes to the games and he is just like, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> how, I'm sp- wait, wait, Car- Carl, I, I, it, but, but they, they've never he's never mentioned. 
you know, of course, he always yeah. they always ask him about kids in the hall, and mm-hmm. you know, he, we're all really good friends, and we're more we're better friends now than we were then because we've grown up and we understand the machine that we work right. in. But not once I, I I would I'd be all in. And you yeah. know what? There's enough. There's enough channels that it could happen today. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think you've got you've got other things going on too. I mean, you've got actually Dave Foley was the one with probably the most successful career in American television um, and, and movies. He's been in several movies. movies with 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 major roles. Yeah, hell, he's uh, did, did oh go ahead run around butt naked in a movie. In fact, which movie was that? Monkey Bone. Oh, Monkey. Wasn't Scott Thompson in Monkey Bone too? I don't know. Um, Scott Thompson, believe it or not, here's some trivia for you, was um, very close to getting uh, the Greg Kinnear role in As Good As It Gets. I don't know how I feel about that because Kinnear did such a good job. I think Thompson would have done an excellent job well, as well. I think he would have done yeah. an excellent job. And it's, I think it would have done a lot for his career. He's, he's basically... Done, he was in... The Larry Sanders Show for a long time. That's the one with um, Gary Shanling. Shanling. Okay, yeah. So he was in that for a while. He played the assistant to the assistant regional manager Jeffrey, the Jeffrey Tambor character. <laughs> now you going to acknowledge my joke? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was trying to remember. He played the assistant to the assistant regional manager. No. Oh no, he didn't. It's all right for all you guys out there in in movie land. That's you office. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah everybody was the yeah. office. They laughed. <laughs> Um, he was in Hannibal for a while, the, yes. the NBC show. Yes, he was. Um, so he's and he obviously he was sick for those mm-hmm. years that they were doing the thing. He he tours the Buddy Cole character, uh, Kevin McDonald. Um, obviously, he did. He's done a lot of voiceover work too. Invader Zim, his Disney voiceover work. Um, he seems to constantly have a new show coming on Canadian TV that never seems to last. Kevin, yeah. Yeah, Mark McKinney was a showrunner for a couple of shows um, on on the Canadian broadcasting system um, that were very good. And he's the one that would probably be the hardest to get away yeah. from uh, for the show because he's on Superstore. Yeah, he's ha- good. Good for him too. Good for him to have that that success on on Superstore. It's I want character. to I want to watch that show, but I don't want to watch that show. Why is that? I don't know. We've watched it a couple times. Yeah. It's funny. It, it was it was it was funny, but really to me the the thing I liked the most about the show was Mark McKinney. Yeah. The other characters were like, eh, seen it. No, the guy the, the black guy in the wheelchair yeah, is hysterical. The guy yeah, that used funny. to be on Parks and Recreation yeah. as the he's funny. The animal control guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's really funny. So that's that's fine. I don't know what Dave's doing right now, but Dave Dave again was in a he, lot of things. Uh hot for hot in Cleveland and the doing some recurring roles on things like the middle and I that I think he does a lot of that stuff right now. He has a podcast. So is Kevin McDonald. Um that he does with I can't remember the name of the person that he does it with, but it's someone that he's been um associates with for a long time. And uh I mean we're talking about kids in the hall, so I'm gonna say this word. It's the name of the podcast is Don't Say Cunt. <laughs> 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 um and he does it with his new wife, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I think she's like a producer on it. I've listened to it a couple times. It's not. Uh, I don't want to say anything bad about it because it's not bad. How do I describe it? It's basically a lot of him talking about different things that he and this other guy have gone through in their show business career, right? 
it's not a, an extremely fast paced mm-hmm. um, podcast. It doesn't it, it it kind of bogs down a little bit, but it bogs down simply because they're giving you the exposition and things that you need. Um, if you like Dave Foley, you will like this. Mm-hmm. But this w- it, it's not a podcast that if you don't know who Dave Foley is, you listen to it go, oh, I love that guy. It's a lot of um, background information on things that they've done. And I've only listened to three episodes. Maybe it takes it. They maybe they had to find their groove. I've just been so busy, I haven't had a chance to listen to it. But uh, it, it, I mean, it's Dave Foley, you know. But he, you're right. Lots of what he's doing right now is a lot of um, supporting roles. I know that he was on Mark Marin show uh, a little bit. Uh, he was in the middle. He uh, he was on. Uh, wasn't he on um, Doctor Ken? Of the Ken Young, yeah, I yeah. think he's been in, he's been in a lot. I mean, he the guy works. He yeah, just, he works. But he, I, I think that he kind of plays that part. I, I think that he, from listening to some of the things he says, I don't think that he wants another news radio. No, I, I think he wants something that he can go do for you know four or five, six hours a week, make some money, enjoy himself, still be relevant. I I can only imagine what shooting a sitcom is is like. I I mean everybody's like, oh, I would love to do that. And you know what? It would be a lot of fun to be on a show like News Radio or Friends. Mm-hmm. But also having did gone through what he went through with uh, Kids in the Hall and it being so brutal, and then having something like News Radio that literally ended because Phil Hartman died. Right. I I I can imagine that at that point you probably don't want to be super invested in anything. Yeah, Kevin McDonald was also talking about what Kevin McDonald is doing these days uh, on top of, you know, whatever acting work he can get. He's got a podcast. It's Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald show. And he, the concept started out as, you know, you have a bunch of people doing podcasts. So he, he wanted to do um, being a comedian interviewing musicians. Okay. Right. So something a little bit different. And, he said since they started doing it live, they do it in front of a live audience, he, it really kind of morphed into this variety show. So I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm, it's, it's on my playlist. I'll listen to it. Yeah. So, but he still has musicians come on and maybe do some skits with him and, and all that. He does a lot of workshops for comedy writers. And he tours. In fact, he was touring this week um, and he had Scott Thompson open for him. Oh, nice. So... Uh, you know, a little bit of a reunion there. Bruce is the one that's kind of a little bit more elusive. He he's written some books. He's done some tours. Um, I don't know if you necessarily call it stand up. It may be more of a show like you know John Leguizamo does. Uh, but he's really more. He's tied into. He's a lot of his friends are are mu- bands, musicians, and bands in Canada. Um, he's done some video music directing. Um, he's, you know, won video awards from the Canadian version of MTV, which is much music. And now, is it is it music or is it like eighteen and pregnant? I have no idea what much music is doing these days. To be honest with you. Okay, I was just making fun of. I know MTV, MTV is not MTV anymore. Not the MTV we knew. Yeah, I get it. Acknowledged. E. So those that's kind of where they are. I th- I think we'd be um, remiss if we didn't talk about the soundtrack to this movie. All right. You didn't like it. I don't like. I don't care for nineties music that mm-hmm. much. I think it, it's it's good. We we can talk about we can. You did like the song. I love by the, Death I, I love the song that Bruce McAuliffe wrote. Yeah. I, Bruce, I, I, well, 
and that's I'm not gonna and say I love it, but it's, so that's it's, why I kind of said it because we left you know Bruce to the end here, and Bruce is Bruce, Bruce does get involved in music. He does write music. Um, he's done a if you watch Kids in the Hall at, at all, you, he usually sometimes has the the film bits where he's playing or singing a song and and all that. So I mean, we've got the clip. So yeah. why don't we I'll play, go ahead it? And play it? Horse tranquilizers. <laughs> <laughs> I love what I love is when you're first introduced to Death Lurks um, in the movie. It's it's during this very long opening credits scene, and you're in this underground club, and the band's playing, and Bruce slowly lumbers up, acting all depressed and very grungy, and he walks up to the microphone. Like he's getting ready to sing, and then he's like, <laughs> and walks away. <laughs> yeah, it's really good, really creative. It's hard to say. Who's your favorite kid? Do you know? Do you have one? Um, it's hard to choose. I, I honestly, it's not for me. I've I've always liked Dave Foley. You like Dave Foley? I, I don't know why. I I think because he's kind of. He's kind of the straight man, mm-hmm. but he's funny. He he has my sense of humor. Right. He's the dry, you know, that type of thing. He, I think one of the things that I've always liked about him too is that he he gets that look on his face. You know, he he gets that. He what he can do with his face, his facial expressions, because he, he can sell it like with his eyes and his face. But I will say that a, a close second is probably Mark McKinney because, like, my favorite character that he does is Darlene. Melanie, M- Melanie with the braces. The yeah. way he holds his mouth with the braces <laughs> is just—it's so. But they're that's so cool. They all have their own style, mm-hmm. and like you were talking about Scott, how he plays the older women. He, he nails the queen. Oh, not so and, bad. And, and metaphorically, metaphorically, <laughs> metaphorically, metaphorically, everybody. No, he's not interested at all. Yeah, but 
you know, I mean, he he really does do the older woman well. Right. Whereas whereas Kevin is just that. Oh, I was telling you. You know, he's everything he does has almost the same. Um, I, the the word escapes me. It's got it's got that same attitude about it. Like even when he plays a woman, like in the movie, he plays a woman. He comes up, hey kids, how's it going? And they're like, oh, you know, oh good. Where's dad? Oh, he's upstairs. Oh, again? Okay. And then he walks away. But he has the he's same very air. much beleaguered he's housewife. Yes, kind but of, even yeah. even as a man, right? He's kind of has that same air. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Okay. They're just. Dave would probably be my favorite. I don't dislike any of them. Um, I mean, there are some characters they do that I'm like, eh, but they just all, for what they do, they do so well. I mean, I see what you're saying. It's like, you know, which kid do you like the least? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, and I don't mean which kid in the hall. I mean, like, which of your own kids right. do you like the least? There's which, one that which, you like the least. Which but, you, you had to, to be able to get stem cells for the one that you want to save? Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. As our friend Sarah would say. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So you, it's... It's not that you don't. If you have multiple kids, there is a kid that you like the least. There's, there's no doubt about it. But that doesn't mean that they're not so freaking important. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's hard to say. Yeah. It, that's, that's a horrible thing to I, say, but it's kind of true. I think I'm, I'm with you. Um, it's kind of a two-way tie between Foley and McKinney. Uh, and, but Bruce is up there. Oh yeah, Bruce is up there. I, they're all up there. I mean, yeah. they're literally. I mean, it's like. Who's your favorite? Well, Dave's my favorite. Well, my 1A is Mark, and my 1B, you know what I mean? Right. They're all in the top right. spot. It's, I, I guess it's better to say what what was your maybe some of your favorite gags that they did, and then we can kind of go into maybe our favorite comedy bits from this I, particular I li- movie. I like them so much, but I, I have not watched them like you have. Mm. I have, I mean, there's a lot, I, I, I can't, I, I don't know. Because uh, there's they're so they're so different. There's so many crazy things. I, I, I just... Right, I I don't remember them well enough. It's like Monty Python. I remember certain skits, right? Even though I've seen them all, I remember certain skits. It would be hard for me to say without going back and watching all right twenty DVDs that we have. Well, to me, the best the best entry level ones, and we've already talked about Daddy Drank. Um, mm-hmm. Daddy Drank is a good one if you guys want. If there's anyone who wants to to get themselves kind of indoctrinated into Kids in the Hall, Daddy Drank's a good one. Uh, Ham of Truth. Is yeah. is a good one. Um, the Cat and Hat Bible, okay, is is good. Um, anything with the Cathy's, yeah, is is pretty good. What else? Mm. I don't know. Head Crusher ones are always good. Yeah. And Head Crusher is the one I think people know the most. Well, that that's it. And you know what? That's like um, we'll make another Rush reference. Everybody's like, oh, Rush, Tom Sawyer. That's like their worst song to me. Mm-hmm. Because I'm hardcore into them, I don't. The the head crusher gets a lot of play, and you're like, well, that's that's like your go to. Like when somebody doesn't know kids in the hall, they're like, oh yeah, I love that head crusher scene. Right. Well, what about any other stuff? Oh, you know, I. Uh, There's a story behind the head crusher, and he's a guy who wanted to crush heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was uh, Mark McKinney and Kevin McDonald were on a, a blind on blind dates together, like a double date, Oof. and. It was not going well. Of course it wasn't. And Mark started doing the, I'm crushing your head, I'm crushing your head. And of course the girls were like, okay, we're out of here. And when they started trying <laughs> Could to- Could you imagine? 
Go ahead. So when they were starting to try to put together sketch concepts idea when they were doing the show, Kevin said, hey, do you remember when you did that I'm crushing your head thing? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you should do something around that. And Mark was like, uh, no, I don't. that's kind of stupid. No, I don't think so. And finally, Kevin looked at him and said, I guarantee you, if you do this, college kids around the country are going to be doing this. And that's what convinced Mark McKinney to do it. And it was probably, you're right, it's and probably their biggest their Kevin biggest McDonald sketch. says it's the only time in his life he was right. <laughs> All right, then. So, that's good. So, what, what were your top scenes in this movie? Well, one of my favorite scenes was one you just mentioned by Bruce. When he walks up to the stage, da na 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 That's what he does. He literally, I really like that. I, I... I liked, uh, I liked a lot of Dave's stuff as the number two. Yeah, you know um, the whole. Uh, I don't want to just call out the scenes that we've shown. Right, uh, he was very good with the oh oh yeah we're on it. It was just he. None of his stuff was laugh out loud to me mm-hmm. in, in as that as that character, but there were certain things about the way he the way he acted. As that guy who has to be the suck up and the hard ass all at once, right? You got five minutes there, Bob. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That that type yeah. of stuff. Oh, the, very the, the, much the, the typical shit that you yep. that you hear. Yeah. Um, I liked uh, I liked Bruce as uh, Jill. Was it Jill? Alice. Alice as the lab assistant. It was just this year in his It was just funny. Oh yeah, we're in love. Slams a door. Come back. Yeah, we almost kissed once. Just, I'm a catch. Yes. Yeah. I'm beautiful. The whole the whole thing had so many laugh out loud moments to me that I, I I just those are kind of the ones that stand out. Not necessarily moments, but just the character that they like. Oh, you know what? I did like the. Oh wow, that's that's great urine. Yeah. When this Kevin, urine is yeah, this great. urine is urine is great. Just to, yeah, probably those. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I I was right up there with laughing the hardest at the yeah we're on that because it's so I one hundred percent what you would hear in a boardroom yeah I've come I've come from that corporate world and I'm still in that corporate world and there's a lot of times that you're like asked to do things that you're like what are you asking me to do not to not to talk about another movie but the Devil Wears Prada there's a scene where Meryl Streep is just. It's just a bunch of cutaways like her coming into the office and asking or telling people for different things or throwing coats at her assistants or doing all that stuff. And there was one scene where she's like, give me that piece of paper I had in my hand yesterday. Right. Right. Ambiguous. You you cannot ask for further questions because she'll tear you down kind of a thing. It's like I, I've literally had someone say something very similar to me. Gotcha. So that whole... Where are we with that? You mean the thing you just told me to do is number one. Oh, we're on it. We're on it. The scene, and it was so, this is the one that kind of struck me the most, and it kind of took me a while to, to sink into this, is before we are introduced to Don Rorator, you have this whole setup where people are waiting for him to come in. He's wearing red socks. Right, and so <laughs> you've got Dave Foley on the walkie-talkie talking to the... Um, the helicopter pilot. What color socks is he wearing? Red. And so he comes running out to the hall and looks at them and he said, 
red. It's red. And they have this blue carpet down on the floor. And they have to replace a blue carpet with a red carpet. And for, to me, I was like, does that supposed to, is that supposed to indicate his mood? I, I was, and then I'm like, it took me a while to go, oh, he, they're just changing the carpet to match his socks. That's all that was. And it's so ridiculous. And they wonder and, why they're broke. And then there's one point in the movie where Don, where, where the, the Dr. Cooper character comes running into the boardroom and tells Don, we have a problem. We have a problem. And you see them walk out into that hallway outside of the boardroom. If you look at the rug, it's like not blue. It's not red. It's like stripes. So <laughs> it's just a they, subtle yeah. detail that's beautiful. Yeah, that's it's a good one. absolutely beautiful. Oh, it's so hard for me to, to, to pick a third one. Do you? I, I already picked my three. I know. It's your turn. You I do know. some work. I don't want to. All right, then you don't have to. Don't. Just say I, I like the my, movie. I need my Gleeman next. Then just, then just pick a character um, that you liked. I I kind of like some of the, the scenes with the um, the therapist. Because, th- again, Dave is this disaffected... I, I, don't, don't, I don't understand German. Yeah. Oh, Scheiße. <laughs> And he says Shiza because as as Mark's talking in German, you're getting subtitles of everything he's saying, and it's all this very poetic, very German expressions of his depression. And when he says Shiza, there's like it's like two lines worth of dialogue that come out when he says Shiza in the captions. Okay, um, that's pretty funny. That's hysterical. That's pretty funny. But when he's also confronting Wally about him being gay, you know, it was just like, it, it's, again, he's just, it's, 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 it's a, what Dave Foley can do well, you know, that exasperated, disaffected, burnt out, snarky. Yes. Snarkiness. So. I agree. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think we have any questions because everything was so absurd. There's, there's no questions to ask about this movie. This is a movie, like, like I've said before, that if you want to enjoy, you just have to accept anything that happens and enjoy it. It's, it's an over-the-top comedy that they do. A lot of the laughs are because of, it's, it's just a ridiculous concept and they want you to just accept it. Yeah. Okay. I agree. So I think all that's left to, to ask is is what are you going to make me watch? No, did I like it? Oh, would did I you watch li- it again? Would you like? Oh, I forgot. You remember? Oh, I think I probably. Oh. I think I would. Oh, this is this was a fun movie. Yeah. Well, we've already watched it twice, so I, I guess I went. I, I assumed it as a foregone conclusion. I gotcha. Many apologies. No, that's all right. Don't worry about it. Okay, so here's here's what I've got going on as far as what you have to watch. Uh oh. Okay, I have so many things that took took that. That probably shouldn't be on the list because I don't think you're going to like them. But I did, uh, yeah, I, and again, I know it's I not said, about you liking them, but but again, it. I don't want I don't want to be fi- I don't want you filing for divorce in six months because of all you know your honor he like, the shit that he's made me <laughs> Mental watch. Mental cruelty. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the one having to pay that seventeen thousand dollars a month, <laughs> and we know I ain't making that kind of cash. Uh, so this is what I did. I went through the last week or so and I have put together just a ton of movies that I think that that I that are that we should watch that okay. you should watch but I'm not going to pick oh no no don't you need to give me a number between one or from 1 to 21 
holy shit, that's a lot of numbers. Right? One to 21. Mm-hmm. And if you've seen the movie, we'll, we'll, we'll skip it and we'll move on. All right. Um, 17 popped into my brain. So what's 17? Have you ever seen The Super with Joe Pesci? No, I haven't. All right. Well, it's The Super with Joe Pesci. Okie day. <laughs> you know? Uh, it, it's got Joe Pesci in it, so um, it's, it's a hit or miss, I guess. It was a comedy. <laughs> yeah. It was him trying to follow up and uh, do it, get another Cousin My Vinny. Cousin Vinny. Yeah. Uh, it's not as funny as My Cousin Vinny, but it's it's a it's a fun, cute, it's a cute movie. Okay. It's, um. I mean, you don't hear, fuck! Every 30 seconds, so it's not a true Joe Pesci movie. <laughs> it's not a good, fellas. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> so that'll be it. Next week, That's we'll be doing it. The Super. The Super. Thanks for listening, everybody. Of all everybody. the movies, you could... Do, uh, God. <laughs> I don't like that movie. Numbers don't don't like me. No, that's all right. 17. Um, it's all right. It's a prime number. It's a prime <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, so you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Honey Watch This. You can also follow us on our Facebook page for Honey You Should Watch This. I am T5FF underscore Angel on Twitter, and I am Marketing underscore Angel on Instagram. I am GBishop72 at uh, Twitter. I have been uh, reaching out to a few other podcasters we know, trying to set up some times for, for them to... Um, help us and, and become part of the show as well um, as guests and picking a movie for the both of us to watch. So we both get tortured at the same time. Um, so we're working on that. So hopefully that's, we got a few of those uh, episodes hopefully going to come down the pike. If you are interested and you have a podcast, please reach out to us through any one of those channels. Uh, you got anything else to say? Nope. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, make sure you rate, review us on uh, Apple Podcasts. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, like us and share us on social media. We appreciate it. Have a nice week. <laughs>